Okay, we're on page at Aleph. We're on page at Aleph. If you can't find page at Aleph, turn over the page and it'll appear. I think, I hope, I trust, <laughs> I wish. Of Yudgimel Tevis. Last week we read the Haftada about Enakadish. I'm sorry, the Yerim Yerim. The um, entry that dealt with that story, how the Rebbe Rasha became the Gabi of the Chaver Kaddish, and so on and so forth. So we're reading inside Yerim Sheni Yudgimel Tevis Hey Tavshin Gimel Shiurim Chumish Vayichi Sheni Bereshashi Tilam Samastaslayinalaf Tanya Achine Yudal Kriyish Now. Yoim Yoim reads Tishamamidim Kanos Miskatsim Hachafetsim Eir When you erect When you stand up A Panos A Panos means A, a, a street lamp a, a, a lamp That produces light Those who desire Light are drawn Light attracts, and the Rebbe says in Yiddish, Lichtekeit seat su. Light has a tendency to draw. Page Yudalaf, page Yudalaf, second entry. Lichtekeit seat su. When you stand up, a panos, a lamplighter, people are gathering, right? There's a hayayim yayim about Alamad, Mrs. Katzman, Alamad Chenne, Lamanterne, Lanterne. My Russian is impeccable. <laughs> I know that I don't know a single word. <laughs> a lanterna means somebody who lights street lights. In the olden times, they didn't have electric lights. They had lanterns, and what they had was each street light was a lantern covered with a glass, and you had to put fuel in. And every night they would come around and light these little lamps. And that's how people were able to see where they were walking in the street at night. And the people who did this were called lanterne, right? Lanterne. Lanterne is the same. So, but the people do it. The lamp lighter. The lamp lighter. La Something like that. Alabavisha, yeah. Um, and the job of lamanchenik is onto the middle lichtikai. So, of course, I'm sure you've heard this story, and if you had, you have to hear it now. It's printed in the book My Encounter with the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Zalman Jaffe writes the story. It's one of those stories, it's a very, very interesting story. But he writes it in his candid style. He doesn't write like a Hasidic Yid with Halbevertin or the Muslim will say this. He says it the way it happened. In Brachel, Vitcha, Kanan. This week's Chitas, I think, right? Um. The son and the daughter, so his anger is not stark. And uh, his son went to learn in 770, and he was so happy about it. There was nothing more meaningful to him in the world than his son was sitting in Shiva learning Tata. And he brought his daughter to America. Brought his daughter to America. She was, I don't know how old she was, 18, 19. She was very, very young. Who was thinking about marriage? Go to college, but I stickle I'm sorry? She was 17. You read the book. You read the story. You know her. She was 17 years old. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I made a mistake. And... The Rebbe 
suggested to her a shidduch, to her parents a shidduch for her. And they were really, really, shall we say, surprised. Now, they were in terrific respect for that ever, but this was like over the top. So they decided, they got to get away from New York, so to keep her away from the dangerous boys. So the Rebbe made another suggestion, they should send her to Camp Amuna. So they sent her to Camp Amuna. Who would you hang out with in Camp Amuna? A young girl by the name of Feller, I believe. No, who would later become Feller. So she was... She was Lou at the time. And unbeknownst to her, she was sitting and talking to her meant-to-be sister-in-law. She ran away from the... Uh, from the... from the... from the stove, which went into the fire. And she spent three weeks in camp. Anyway, she came back to New York, and the Rebbe suggested a shidduch. And... Rebbe suggested a shidduch with Shmuelu. The details are not exactly fresh in my memory. The bottom line is the parents were very hesitant, and a whole spiel was played. Benti and Shemtiv and and their son, and they they made basically they gang up on on the missus, uh, Mrs. Yaffe, and they sort of twisted her arm. And she said, "Okay, she can go out once. I mean, what's going to happen if she goes out one time? What's the sign?" Anyway, they did it once, I think, and then the Rebbe basically asked. What, is, what does he think of the Shidduch? Do they like his suggested Shidduch? He said, excuse me, they dated exactly one time. The whole dating till Shidduch lasted like four days and maybe two days or something like that. And the whole thing happened like above their heads. And Zalman Jaffe writes that he was talking to this young man and he was making a lot of sense. Not one word of what he said made any sense, but it sounded very sensical what he was saying. How are you going to live in the real world? And so on and so forth. But one of the interesting parts of the story was that in the middle, in between the suggestion and the Shidduch was Yubis Tamus was the Fabrengi Yubis Tamus and by the Fabrengi the Rebbe spoke a very 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 powerful Sikh about the lamplighters it's connected to this that a Chassid is a Lamanchenik the job of a Chassid is to be a lamplighter here there's no mention of lamplighting but here there's an idea mentioned that all you have to do is light the lamp and you light the lamp the people are drawn to it automatically. We'll get to that soon. So Rebbe spoke this whole sikh of being a lamplighter. And then after Yerbeis Tammuz, which is like from a Thursday night to a Tuesday night, that was the whole Gishichta. So he's by the Rebbe. And Yechidah, the Rebbe says, no, so what do you think of the Shidduch? I, I need to know right away, because otherwise I have to make other arrangements. There's a Shidduch, you know. So, so they tried to reason with the Rebbe. This has nothing to do with reality. They, didn't, they don't know each other. They, so he said to the Rebbe, he was looking for an excuse. He said, how's he going to make a living? So it's going to be a lamplighter. That was the Hemshech. By the Fabreng in Yudbeis Tammuz, he will be a lamplighter, for the Rebbe said. In any case, this is the introduction. The concept here, to Amid in Panos, Miskat Machafetim Oyed, is this. Straight to the issue. The issue is this is makif, right? In, in Hasidic terminology, this one line is describing an effect, an influence that's makif. Makif means indirect, not personal, not internal. There are different ways to affect people. 
one of the ways of affecting a person is by being a living example. When you are a model of a yid, other people want to be like you. When you are a model of a chassid, of a metanem is a chassid, other people want to be like you. So when you create an interest in other people to be a chassid, by your example, you're, you're influencing them by being a lamplighter, being a lantern, being a beacon of light in a dark, cold world. You're, you're showing light and warmth in a dark and a cold environment, and that person says, I like this light and I like this wood. So the connotation is, the, 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 the apparent insight is that you're being mashpia, you're affecting, you're influencing a person in a makadik way, an indirect way. In other words, it would seem like it would be far better, instead of just shining a light and hoping a person is drawn to it, to go to that person and involve yourself in that person, deal with their darkness, deal with their schmutz, get the right cleaning crews in to remove the schmutz inside the person, so they should be a mensch. Here the Rabbi is suggesting a different approach. It's not an approach where you're getting involved in the schmutz, in the, in the filth and the uncleanness of the person. It's an approach that has to do with shining light. You shine light, people are naturally drawn to the light. There's a lot of aspects to this. There's many, many, many different aspects to this. The simplest aspect to this is that it's always better to avoid the darkness and the filth. Right? It says in the Tanya, If you wrestle with someone who's filthy, even if you defeat them, and you throw them to the ground, and you conquer them, and you subdue them, and you possess them, you're dirty. That's the way it is. When you engage with Ra, even if you defeat the evil, you're dealt with it. Which is what is unique about Hasidus at a very elementary level. What is the distinction between Hasidus and Musa that you have always in the Sikhs? Musa focuses on Ra. Midas Rais. Tivim Rayim. Hasidus doesn't talk so much about Midas Rais, it talks about goodness. And the idea is, the belief is, that by talking about goodness, the Midas Rais are eradicated, are undone, but they're undone in a way without engaging. Because when you engage with the Ra, when you engage with the evil, you're connected to it. This is, this is a, a very simple insight into the approach of Hasidus. That the way you affect another person is don't deal with their filth, give them goodness. And you see this all the time. You see this in every place in the world. No place do you see it more than in little children. Give them goodness. Everything else falls into place. Give them lichtigkeit. Give them goodness. But there's another kvetch here. There's another kvetch here. And I'll tell it to you in my own words. And I, I don't think I'm embellishing too much. I'll tell it to you in my own words. I've asked this question many times in the past. But I haven't asked it recently, so I'll ask it now. If you could divide Yiddishkeit into two approaches. If you could divide Yiddishkeit into two approaches. From the bottom to the top or from the top to the bottom. There's two ways to connect to the Eivishter. One is... yourself up to the Eivishter. Deal with our heaviness. Deal with our the 
opposite of godliness, deal with our lethargy, our sluggishness, our depression, our mistrust, our doubt, and fix it, overcome all of our inherent challenges to matters of ruchnius, and develop a relationship with Hashem. It's an approach. It's a very healthy approach. It's a very good approach. You must fix yourself. And if I see this, this is called tefillah. Davening is a time to work on yourself. As the Russian from the Zayhar, Shas Kloisa, Shas Krova. The time of prayer is a time of war. Shas Kloisa, Shas Krova. The time of prayer is a time for war. And it also says in Zayhar, Nahama, Apum Chalbalechel. When you eat bread, you eat it with a sword. So this takes in Zayhar. Now simply it means you eat bread, you eat it with a knife. You don't rip it open, you eat it with a knife. But the idea is that any time a person engages in the Gashmias world, there's a war. The, the connotation of Nama Pum is that any time you engage in the Gashmi's world, there's a war. There's a war between good and evil. The alternative is shine light. Right? Enlighten, shine, and inspire. Give a person goodness. Give a person light. Give a person warmth. And lift them up. And the Yiddish practice is Tera. Tera Oir. We didn't invent the Tera, right? We didn't create the Tera. We didn't write the Tera. It was given to us. Every person's davening is what he gives Hashem. And every day you're davening, you're giving Hashem something different. Today's davening, my Vaivarach David was better. Tomorrow's davening, my... Hashivenu, uh, um, you know, which do Truva was better. Every day in Davening is a different carbon of yourself that you're giving to Hashem. Tayda is Hashem. When you study Tayda, you bring into yourself the light of the Abish. So, once you understand that there are these two ways to connect to Hashem, A, to go from the bottom to the top, to refine and uplift yourself to connect to the Abish. B, to bring light into your life, I'll ask you a simple question. Which of the two is Hasidus? Is Hasidus an approach of working on yourself and refining yourself and bringing yourself close to the Eivishtet? Or is Hasidus an approach of shining light and let the light lift you up to the Eivishtet? I think on the face of it, you would have to say, well, sounds like both. <laughs> and the truth of the matter is, it is both. It's being both is really more ideal. Belina did. We still have some time. I'll get to that soon. But on a basic level, is Hasidus about shining light, or is Hasidus about bringing out the goodness within ourselves? You want you want to take you want to say both? It sounds to me like it's both, right? But I'll tell you what you derive from this And the truth of the matter is, the more Hasidus you learn, the more you realize that this is true. Hasidus shines light. No doubt about it. Hasidus shines light. There's no question that Hasidus shines light. Hasidus doesn't tell you what's wrong with you. Hasidus tells you what goodness is. But the purpose of Hasidus is to shine a light that will draw out your inherent light. The idea of Hasidus is that it should shine a light into your soul, into your mind and heart and consciousness, which won't just inspire you, but will tap into the inner Jew, that will tap into your Pintalayit. That's the magic of Hasidus. When you learn in the Sikhs that Hasidus is Yechida. What does it mean, Yechida? What's wrong with Chaya and Nishama? It's that bad. What's wrong with Yechida? The uniqueness of Yechida, what makes Yechida so special and unique is that Hasidus has a potency. Hasidus has a power to touch. It does. In the Maimarim, in the Sikh of Yonah Shaltayla Sachasidus, what does the Rebbe say? Hasidus is like oil. 
two ways. What are the two characteristics of oil that we all know? Shemin sucks. I'll call mashkin. Oil does not mix with any other fluid. It's lighter than it. So the other fluids will fall and the oil will remain above. On the other hand, Shemin is mefapea bakule. The nature of oil is that wherever oil touches, it makes a mess. It creeps in. Yeah, you put a little oil on a napkin, you come back in an hour, the whole napkin is yellow. As long as there's enough value. But the, uh, uh, the nature of oil is as kirikht. It penetrates. Hasidus has both of these qualities. Hasidus is inherently aloof. It's still true that we're trying to figure out exactly what is Hasidus. We've asked the question a thousand times and we still don't know. So what is it? What is Hasidus? Let me touch it. Let me put my hand on it. Let me define it clearly. It's very, very difficult to explain because it's so elusive. It's very difficult to say what, what is Hasidus. What is it? What is it? It's an idea. It's a concept. It's a teaching. It's a way of life. It's a little bit of all of that. But what is it? The only answer that truly underscores what Hasidus is is the one that the Rebbe gives. It's the chidr. It's the essence. What do you know about the essence? The essence is everywhere and nowhere. Everybody has it. No one has an idea what it is. Chassidus is light. There's no question. Chassidus is lichtekeit. Areb is lichtekeit. But the purpose of the light of Chassidus is not to superimpose itself upon the darkness. But the purpose of the light of Chassidus is to touch the inner light. The primius lichtekeit. The light which is inherent within each person. And that's the purpose of Chassidus. Chassidus is not trying to change us. That's called Chitanius. Chassidus is trying to bring forward the inner Yid. Chassidus is trying to bring out who a Yid really is on the inside, underneath it all. So it shines a light to extract an inner light. So now read Kishem When you erect a lantern, people gather. Who gathers? Those who desire light. Now, there are different types of people who desire light. There are those who desire light. They know they desire light. And then there are people who do not even know they desire light. When they see the light, they discover that they desire it. So instead of having to fight with them and convince them, look, there's a light. You want it. Put the light out there for them to see. And the light will speak to them in what's called an inoffensive way, in a way which doesn't make them feel uncomfortable, doesn't make them want to run away, and they'll be drawn to the light. That's such kishamamidin. When you establish, when you stand up a lantern, those who desire light are drawn. And it's conceivable that the lantern is what creates the desire for the light altogether. So let's review. What did we say so far? Number one, Chassidus is not in favor of getting involved in Shmutz. Chassidus is not into involving himself in Shmutz. There are a number of Ayoyim Yoyims that make this argument. Which is a famous one. We don't engage in ideological arguments. Right? Our job is to shine light. Not to engage in the filth, just to shine light. On a deeper dimension, the concept of shining light is not simply to give people what they don't have, but to shine a light that draws out the light that was in themselves. And in this itself, there's two levels in Mizrach. There's a person who knows that he desires light and is drawn to it. There's a person who doesn't even know that he desires the light, and when he sees the light, the light tells him or inspires within him a desire 
for the light, and he runs towards it. And the Rebbe says the Lashon light draws in. Now let's change the language for a moment, if you don't mind. Instead of the word light, let's use the word emes, truth or honesty. What's the difference between truth and honesty? Truth, honesty. Honesty is a much warmer word than truth. Nein, ich das What? Truth is a thing. Honesty is that thing superimposed on a person. <laughs> Am I wrong? Ideas are not honest. Ideas are true. People are honest. Right? Truth is a truth is clinically cold. That's its strength. And that's what's so intimidating about it. But truth is is what it is. Honesty is living truth. So let, instead of using the word light, let's use the word honesty. When you see a real person, you're drawn to them. When you see Amis, when you see real goodness, when you see real beauty, when you see real Amis in any way, shape, or form, it has an unbelievable appeal. It has a phenomenal appeal. And you know what's the essence of the appeal? You know what the essence of the appeal is? It's not trying to draw attention to itself. You know, you know the Bavusta joke that goes around, it's not funny at all, about a guy who loved covet. He loved covet. He loved respect and honor. But he knows that it's the picky of it. Call I if you run after honor, the honor will escape you. If you run away from honor, the covet chases you. So he decided that he's going to run away from honor. He's not going to let anybody honor him. And he, but he, no one's honoring him. So after six months of really, really trying very, very hard to avoid honor, he says to somebody, you know, <laughs> I tried very, very hard to be a berech men and I don't see that the covet is the covet is chasing me it doesn't matter every once in a while you look back to see if the covet is chasing you and you frighten them off you stretch them up you look behind you to see if you're being followed so he runs away then you have to renew the berech men then you look behind you like the line blossoms in, in the way people live emes, which is what honesty is. Honesty, to be an emes to be a real, real Jew, is the most beautiful thing in the world. It's the most attractive thing in the Jew in the world. When you see emes, you melt. You know, it says in Chazal, In Tashas Kisisa, when Hashem told him the 13 attributes of mercy, it says, Meishe Rabbeinu heard and he fell on his face. What did Meishe Rabbeinu see which caused them to collapse? And there's end of Emes. Meishe Rabbeinu saw Emes, he fell in his face. Meishe Rabbeinu was Emes. Meishe Rabbeinu was the epitome of this Emes. In fact, Rashi indicates that Meishe Rabbeinu's Emes was to a fault. He couldn't even modify the Emes for the sake of Shalom. This was Adam's gift. Meishe Rabbeinu didn't have that ability. Meishe was just pure Emes. When you see Emes, you're instinctively, you're, you're you're immediately drawn to it. You see Emes? This is the nature of Emes. This is the nature of real things. This is the nature
nature of real humility. This is the nature of real goodness. This is the nature of real wisdom. You know, these, these are very, very big words. Real humility, real wisdom, real. Yeah, of course real. <laughs> the alternative there are plenty of. Real wisdom, real humility, real goodness. There are such people. But people who are real, people who are really, really, really real, they're so unassuming and so not taking up any room. And they can be very great people. And they can be doing very, very great things. But they're real. And when you see a real person, you're drawn to that person. You want to be next. You want to be nichva. You want to be affected. You want to be warmed by their warmth. Listen to that. And that's the easiest and the best and the truest way to be a chassid. To be a, to be a panas. Not to light a candle, but to be a candle. When a person is the way he's supposed to be, his presence touches every other person in the room. This is the way it is. This is reality. And the Rebbe is saying, this is the sheet of chassidus. The sheet of chassidus is to make light in the world. And again, the, the best way, really, the only way to make light in the world is to be ourselves, obviously. We ourselves should be a little bit light. You want to say something? When you have a life and a mission for yourself, or in other words, what you've set out for yourself to do and to be, sometimes what you've made, just what you want to do for yourself can become a prison. You're sort of trapped in that place. When you see something different that you want to aspire for, it redeems you. It gives you an opportunity to lift yourself up, to go to a higher place. I just want to say something. But before I say it, I want to repeat myself. What does it say here? It says here that there's an approach of Hasidus of shining light, of Machen Lichtik. And light draws, it touches and extracts and brings forward the inner light within a person. I don't only believe this to be true, I think I've witnessed it and experienced it. I, I suppose, I would like to believe that every person who has any connection to Hasidus, with Anemis, knows this. Light draws. There's a woman who comes to these classes who told me how she became through. This is an amazing story, but this is a, a Isha Tzitkanis. They don't make ladies like this anymore. They threw away the mold a while ago. Maybe not. <laughs> but, but, but it's very, very rare. She said, she ended up in Seventh by mistake. I forgot even how. And she came in here, she had no shaykhs to nothing. Nishkin Shabbos, Nishkin Kosher, nothing. Somebody pushed this, this in the 70s. Somebody pushed it through to the front. She says, I saw that everybody started to cry. That's what she said. What's the figure, vein? <laughs> what did you see? Everybody sees the Rebbe. You know, I told you the story about the lady who told the Rebbe that the Rebbe should reveal himself as they said they would put his hands over his face and he removed them now I'm revealed <laughs> we all see that ever as they said. that was it the next day she was a shame of Tehru Mitzvah it's all it took she saw that ever and that was literally all t- this is a very special neshama usually we need a little more cajoling you know some kind of a, a natural disaster or an unnatural disaster or an imagined disaster or a semi-real disaster she was done cooked them at heaven she was very sensitive neshama she saw that Lichtik, 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 and it touched her. That little parachev was two years old. 
Two is little, right? Two is little. And his father brought him to Rav Nacham Chernobyl. Rav Nacham Chernobyl was very old. The little parasha was three when the Hilik Yerev Rav Nacham Chernobyl passed away. Or maybe two and a half. And he put him on his shoulders. And he came to the Smedrish. And Noam Shabbos, the Smedrish was an old, broken down shtibel. It was, was not in good condition. His son had a palace, but his shtibel was a disaster. It was broken down and it wasn't big enough, and it was not warm enough, and it wasn't enough light. But it was at Noam Shabbos. Noam Shabbos was a father Gomer. And his father, the Hill's father, Jason, a man, a lady, that made it. Halevi, that Hill was from the few Hasidim who was a Hasid ben Hasid, who didn't create the Hasidim for himself, he inherited it. He just shifted from Chernobyl to Chabad. When Abhil saw the Nacham Chernobyl, he started screaming. He pointed with his hand and he screamed in Russian, Are you creating it? Fire, fire. He was a two year old boy. He saw it, the Rebbe, the Nacham Chernobyl, and he said, Fire. He, he, the Nacham Chernobyl had a different kind of Neshama than most people. As a two year old, he saw the Rebbe, he said, Fire, spent a fire. So this is the shot in an avoided the sense, an avoided the framework, Lichtikites. And every chassid in a tiny little way has to be lichtik. My brother was the keynote speaker at the Kiddush site a year or two years ago. And he told Amvada Kameiser, his message was, his message was that people want the Rebbe. You know, there's some people who are afraid of bringing the Rebbe to people, to bring it turned off. He says, people, people in the world want a connection. They want you to bring the Rebbe to them. He wants every, people want to see in a chassid, so he told a story that Rabbi Fellows was like the Zutstag was involved with a family for many many years they were big supporters they were very very good friends of Lubavitch in Minnesota the patriarch the senior member of the family was very old and he had never dementia he lost his memory he was not well and he came to see him at this point the family was protecting him because each time he realized again that he doesn't know what's going on he would get upset in other words he was aware enough to be upset by the fact that he doesn't know what's fine so he said he's not going to know who you are don't go into him but he went into him anyway he walks into him oh Rabbi how are you of life he's talking to him so warmly so Rabbi Faust asked him do you know who I am of course you're Rabbi Schneerson he tells him you're Rabbi Schneerson <laughs> you're Rabbi Schneerson finish <laughs> this is the chat Shamid and Panas but I want to say another very important thing. And I'm saying this, I'm saying this because it's true, and I'm saying it because maybe a little bit we have a connection to it also. If you study Hasidus, and not just the books of Hasidus, but the lives of Hasidim, you know that there are two parts to Hasidus, not one. Hasidus is lichtikite. There's no doubt about it. Hasidus is light. And with a special emphasis that the light of Hasidus is such that it calls forward your inner light. It's not just a light which is superimposed upon you. It's artificial. It's light that touches and brings out the inner light. That's what separates it from other lichtikites, from other lights. And the other side of Hasidus is called iskafia. The discipline. The benefit 
finding oneself, the, the refining the vessel, so to speak, which can have, possibly, of course, incorrectly, but can have a tone, a feel, a sentiment that's negative. And real Hasidim, I mean, the greatest Hasidim used to fast all the time, or the greatest Hasidim used to punish their goofers, but it was never out of the context of light. In other words, before Hasidus, there was a concept of fasting and punishing the body in the belief that the body is negative. Hasidus changed that. The Baal Shem Tev fundamentally disagreed with that principle based on the famous Rambam, the Be'esha Guf, Baruch Yishov, Da'akavit, Hashemu, and Hasidus certainly believes if God gave you a body, it's a good thing. Don't break it. So the Eskafia, the bending and the breaking and the fighting and the discipline of self was not for the sake of being broken. It was for the sake of making oneself an vessel for the Lichtekite, for the light. And there's the story, there's the famous story that I told you, I don't know how many dozen times, a dozen, dozen times, with the little Padachev. And the story was like this. The great Hasidim of the Alter Rebbe, the Mittler Rebbe, and Samach Tzedek, used to fast Bahab, Beis Hei Beis, Monday, Thursday, Monday. After Pesach and after Sukkot, there's a custom to fast Bahab, Monday, Thursday, Monday. This has to do with the fact that on Yom Tov people used to celebrate, have Simcha, and they would drink wine. And there's a concern with Kalos Reish, maybe people got a little bit too lighthearted. So very, very, fasted Bahab. They ever fasted Bahab. But that's pretty much the only person we know who fasted Bahab. Okay, everybody fast Bahab? I don't, I'm not a Jerusalemite. I'm not, I'm not a Kamachik Um And the G'day Lachasidim fasted Bahab. They fasted Monday, Thursday, Monday. For all kinds of different reasons, you now want to fast Bahab in Nissan and so on and so forth. It's possible that the Bahab should last till like Bohemian. 25 days after Pesach, 27 days after Pesach. So Lag Bohemian was a Tuesday. Monday was the second Monday of the Bahab fasts. The meaning Lag Bohemian was the Hasidim used to go out to the field for the 24 hours of Lag Bohemian. But went early and they came back late. In other words, if Lagbaimu was Tuesday, Monday afternoon they arrived, and late, late Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning they came back to Labavitch. In other words, it was really not 24 hours, it was closer to 36 hours, to 30 hours. And there were several Hasidim every year who lived in the so-called outskirts of Labavitch, and Mekin Shamein, the Gantz of Labavitch was an outskirt, but who would always, what's the word, they would, they would debate, they would argue, I, I, I can't find the right word, who, they would spar over who had rights to the Lagbaim Kibbutz. It was an, to the Lagbaim Kibbutz, it was a big expense, it was a big covet. All the Hasidim who were in Labavitch at that time would come to your village, your little farm, and the meaning was they would serve milchiks, the, they served milchiks, and the Fabrengen started in the afternoon of that and did not stop for 30 hours. Nobody sat by Fabrengen for 30 hours, but the Fabrengen didn't end. People continued coming and going. People left the Davan, people left the Chazak people left to do things. The Fabrengen, there were always people, the Fabrengen never ended. 
was a, it was a marathon for Brengit. Sometime during the 24th, like Brengit, the Rebbe himself would come. That means the middle of the Rebbe and the later the Tzemach Tzedek. And all the Hasidim would, of course, greet the Rebbe with the greatest COVID. The Rebbe would say Hasidus. And he would sit for half an hour. Sometimes he would tell stories. This is one of the favorite times of the year for miracles. The Rebbe and like Brengit were very disposed, especially by the middle of the Rebbe. He would give brachas, especially for children. So, people waited a whole year for Lagbeim. It was a special day. This one year, Lagbeim was Tuesday. So, Monday afternoon, they came to the field, and all the Hasidim who were fasting had a problem. They had a fast. They had been fasting this fast multiple years. Now, Allah, if you repeat something three times, they do something three times, and I didn't say the Fadish as a din of a Nedid. So, what do you do? So, they convened the Bezdin, they had no shortage of Rabbonim. And the Rabbonim Paskin that everybody should be mocked and in the cover of Shabbat Yechoi and Wash. And all the Hasidim did it, except for one, the same Rabbonim Parach that I mentioned before. <coughs> he waited for the sun to go down, he dived and then he washed. The Bill Parachet was the middle of the Rebbe's custody. At the Fabrengen, there were many Hasidim of the Alta Rebbe who were far older than him, 20 years older than him, 25 years older than him. But Rebbe Hillel was revered. Even Hasidim twice his age trembled in his presence. There was a tremendous amount of that Hasidim of Hillel. Hillel was something special. He really was something special. Someone said they called him a half Rebbe. And the explanation is not he was a half Rebbe, but half of him was the Tzemach Tzedek. People had a lot of their achalas One of the elder chassidim, one of the senior chassidim, probably 30 years older than Abhil. Okay, just 25 years older than Abhil, much older than him, was of Isaac Homer, of Isaac Alevi Epstein Homer, one of the great chassidim of the Alter Rebbe. And he couldn't stand this fanaticism. He was very disturbed by the Hill's refusal to break his fast. That are born in Paskin, there's ways to do it. The upper halacha, it's not a violation of Tata. What kind of, you know, what kind of fanatic did you become? So during the Fabrengen, the Baisel, he criticized him, he vociferously questioned Rabbi Hill's approach, a priority. So the Fidik Rebbe says, Rebbe Hillel Hill cried. And when Rebbe Hillel stopped crying, he said, he told him his whole life story. Rebbe Hillel was born to a big chassid, I, sh- I can assure you. He saw the great tzaddik and the great holy Rebbe, the Mnachem Chinabal. He was a great, great human being before he ever heard of Lubavitch and Tanya and Hasidus. But he said that his whole life was a search for the truth. His whole life was a search for the truth. And he found the truth in the Tanya, as he said. When he found the Sefer Tanya, and he read it, he found that this is Emes. And the Emes is that Hill had Mercedes Nefesh come to Lubavitch. I told you the story recently about that. And when he finished, he said, Gloib Mir, my nechumris zaynin az esel the best and upleg navod chesidus. He said, all my extra religiosity and my care and performance of mitzvahs, my behavior performance of mitzvahs, it's not fanaticism, it's not obsessive compulsive, it's not mishgas. It's because I understand that the purer the vessel, the more I'll be able to be. 
qualified to appreciate the light of Hasidus. The literal translation of the words is that everything I do is I should understand Hasidus a little better. The Shmuel Ber Bar Yisrael, the Rashdam, was a big Hasid. Like Zogun, Ichab Gakent Zvei Vasab Gata Chushen Hasidus. I knew two people who had a real feel for Hasidus: the Bilu Parachid and the Rebbe Rashav. Don't don't throw stones at me. I didn't say it. Don't throw stones at him. He knew what he's talking about. Rabbi Hill was a, he didn't know Gata Chushi. In other words, in a way, he felt he felt what Rabbi was really trying to give, but it was most unnecessary. The point of all this is that even though it's true, as this Hayyim is arguing, the Hasidim is about light. Real Hasidim did not suffice with the light and the inspiration that the light called forward. Or to say it more finely, it didn't suffice with the light that came forward from within themselves because of the inspiration that they received from the light that was without themselves. But they qualified themselves. They refined the vessel. The vessel has to be whole. The Rebbe said there's a big difference between an empty vessel and a broken vessel. Broken is nothing. It has to be empty, not broken. And pure, clean on the inside and on the outside. And all this scaffold, the whole part of Hasidah that we hear about, read about, about Hasidah not allowing themselves the temptation, Hasidah not allowing themselves any kind of a pleasure, the, the spirit, the place from which this this attitude, so to speak, radiated and sprung was a desire for the light. And the point is this. If a yid is connected to Hasidus and is inspired by its light, he's very lucky. This is the emiss. If a person, if people like ourselves learn Hasidus and don't exactly have a it's also a good thing. You know, I, I told this to you many times at the Friedrich Ebbe said once in the Sikha that if a person does not daven, he shouldn't learn Hasidus. You don't daven, you don't work on yourself. Learning Hasidus is an abuse. Don't learn it. So the Rebbe said to the previous Rebbe, why? If a person learns Gemara, it doesn't do mitzvahs. We say it's a good thing because the light of Tere, even if you're not doing any mitzvahs, will touch the person and arouse the person. Why is Hasidus any different? And the Friedrich Rebbe answered him, however he answered him. But it's clear that the Rebbe continued to hold that position. The Rebbe in his Rebbeship said without any doubt, if you want to learn Hasidus and don't do mitzvahs, please, go ahead and do it. You'll eventually, I'm warning you, it's, 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 it's contaminating, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's contagious and it's, it's matbekes, it attaches itself to you and you never stuck with it, but the idea that the light of Hasidus touches and inspires is true. But, it's only to a certain extent. If we want to feel the richness in the light of Hasidus more and more deeply, we have to clean the vessel. The keli has to be pure. And this is what they used to call, again, the word we used until now is the word iskafia, bending ourselves so that we are finer and purer and truer and more consistent vessels for the light of Hasidus. And the effect of this is that a person is what's called apnimi. In Chabad Hasidus, there's no greater label than the title Pnimi. It's very, very difficult to translate the words Pnimi. There aren't many Hasidim by whom it was spoken, the Tayyad, the compliment, the attribute Pnimi. A Pnimi is an honest person. 
how we started this conversation. A pnimi is a person that take body. The outside and the inside are the same. What you see on the outside with a person on the inside are embers. To say it alternatively, a pnimi, the lotion in the sikhas is, what they teach the girls in Besifka High School is, a pnimi as who it is, is it in Gansu. A pnimi, whatever he does, does completely. If he's learning, he's completely learning. He's not thinking about davening. If he's eating breakfast, he's eating breakfast. Believe it or not, eating breakfast is also serving Hashem. In fact, it's more difficult to eat breakfast like a Jew and to daven like a Jew. It's, it's self-explanatory. But a pnimi is a genuine Jew, a real, real, real person. And to be a pnimi, it's not sufficient to be touched by the light of Hasidus. You got to clean the vessel a little bit. That is a little different than what's written in today's Ayyayim. I don't think it's a contradiction. There's another step. This Ayyayim simply discusses light. And Hasidus is light. There's no doubt about it. I repeat. First of all, Hasidus doesn't believe in wallowing in filth. When you're involved with filth, even if you clean it up, you're yourself dirty. Second of all, Hasidus doesn't simply shine light. It shines light that touches and draws out. An inner light. And sometimes the light of Hasidus creates the thirst in the person. But finally, if the, if the Hasidus is to be true, it's not enough to have the light. It's not enough to study Hasidus. has to be davening. has to be the Hasidus the Hasidic side, the Hasidic Avoida, and then, then we become the Hasidus, and the Hasidus becomes us. But the Rebbe calls Yispanis and Minei. Right? What is the difference between Chabad Hasidus and non Chabad Hasidus? The difference is that Chabad Hasidus adds the component of Yispanis and Minei, that Hasidus should become Panos, food. What happens when you eat food? If the stomach works right, there's no health in the food changes, it becomes you. You change because you've eaten the food. You become the food, the food becomes you. Light isn't food. Right? If you shine light on a, on a leaf, <laughs> it, it'll feed it. But if you shine light, you told me before that there's, there's certain minerals that are actually on zonis, adam, sustain a person also from sunlight. But you, you, you can't get most nutrients, most things that a person needs for life and for sustenance can't get from sunlight. You have to chew it, you have to swallow it, you have to ingest it. It's a lichtekite. And it's a lichtekite, it's a light that extracts a person's inner light. But for Hasidus to become you, you should become Hasidus. For this is not enough just to partake of Hasidus. We have to let Hasidus take a piece out of us. Also. Okay? Does anybody want to say something? Okay.